So today we are celebrating the Buddha's birthday. And uh, I want to bring up a koan that I talked about a year ago or so. But look at it from a slightly different angle. It's from the Shoyoroku, the, the Book of Equanimity, Case 4. <clears throat> the World Honored One points to the ground. The Introduction. As soon as a single mote of dust arises, the whole earth is contained therein. With a single horse and a single lance, the land is extended. Who is this person who can be master in any place and meet the source in everything? The case. As the world honored one was once walking with the congregation, he pointed to the ground with his finger and said, this spot is good to build a sanctuary. Indra, emperor of the gods, took a blade of grass, stuck it in the ground and said, the sanctuary is built. The world honored one smiled. Sanctuary is built. It's interesting. The footnote to that says repairs will not be easy to that sanctuary. And I think we we can uh, agree with that. So the Buddha's birthday. For many Buddhist congregations, this is a common celebration around April. The, the actual date, well, we don't know if it's the actual date, but the actual date that is celebrated is April 8th, a couple of days ago. And it's based on a common scholarly notion the Buddha was born <clears throat> at that date. In the kingdom of Kapilavastu, which is now a part of southern Nepal, and as the story goes, right after his birth, he stood up, took seven steps, pointed with one hand, one finger to the ground, and the other hand, one finger to the earth, to the sky, and said, I alone am the world honored one. I alone am the world honored one. Now, some years later, after his deep experience of enlightenment, he said, Wonder of wonders, I, all beings, the great earth, all the wisdom and virtue of the awakened one to thusness. But because of our upside-down views, we fail to see that. And after his death, his cousin Ananda heard the Buddha's voice saying, from beginningless time, I, again, I, have appeared as thus to save all beings. Now, when we hear about this, I just gave this, a similar version of this talk a couple of days ago uh, in New York. 
and uh, Shokan was there. So he may be nodding often today. <laughs> so when we hear about uh, a walking, talking newborn, and, uh, and the words of somebody who just passed away, the natural reaction is to be skeptic, right? I mean, it doesn't make sense. You know, if we had kids, so you know, we've seen kids born, they're not quite with it. Right? And definitely cannot walk and talk. Or maybe they feel frustrated about it, so they cry. They would like to walk and talk. But our world is rooted in, or the notions are rooted in what we see, hear, smell, touch, taste, and think, naturally. Right? And thinking is also a sense organ, so it's the only way we know how to take in the world. So, but to be a, a spiritual practice, to be a part of spiritual practice, is to want to examine. We show up to practice, we, we begin practicing because we feel, we have a sense that there's something not quite right with the way we are interacting with the world, or in the way we are interacting with the world. And so we are looking for, or trying to practice a different way of interacting which in this case means stick with it longer rather than right away shut down and close ourselves when we hear about a, something that doesn't make sense or something that doesn't fit. You remember, as a few weeks ago, I talked about uh, direct seeing and I quoted from this uh, Christine Rank, I think it was her book about creativity. She was talking about the fact that we don't really see what is in front of us, we all only see what we already know. So in a way, it's the same with hearing. We can only hear what we already know if we go to the usual way of seeing things, of hearing things. And if it doesn't fit, the tendency is to reject it. And that's common. So we want to work with that and stick with it so we can see what really is going on. And that can help us look at the words and the actions of the Buddha after he was born rather than get stuck. So what was he saying? What is he saying? How can we embrace that? How can we embrace the unfamiliar and see what it is teaching us. How can we get comfortable with what is uncomfortable? In this case, he took seven steps. And these seven steps represent north, south, east, west, up, down, and here. In other words, all-encompassing. Nothing missing all at once, all encompassing. <coughs> and then he pointed up and he pointed down, expressing that he will unite, bring together, 
And what is he? Who is he? What is I? I alone am the honored one. Well, I think it sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? You know, well, what makes you so special to be the only one? Well, that's a limited understanding of I. What kind of an I is that? I alone will solve all your problems. It sounds something we hear, especially these days, from presidential hopefuls. Right? We'll solve all your problems if you just vote for them. That is arrogant. But this I is different. It's an I that is not separating anything from anything. It's an I that is showing all things are one, alone as all one. It's a big difference between saying, I am special and you are not. But to say, I am special like everybody else. A whole different thing. But it's not the special we want. We want the special that is more special than others. Otherwise, what's the good of being special? Right? And I, anybody, everybody, everything has that I in it. So I will unite heaven and earth is not arrogant. It is actually utterly humble. It comes out of humility and it expresses humility at the same time. There are no gaps. So every morning we wake up And the world is there to honor us. You. To honor you. Only you. Every morning you're born again. But it doesn't feel this way. Well, how does the world honor me today? Right? It doesn't do what I want it to do. It doesn't conform to what I want it to do. So there is an I and there is an it. And there is a gap. But every morning the world shows up to honor you, to support you, to carry you through the day. Beautifully. Every day. Do we see that? Do we pay attention? Do we hear it? Do walk around with our eyes closed, looking for the perfect circumstances and conditions that will match an idea. So the birth of the Buddha, every morning, is your birth. Every day. Now, it's easy to fall into a trap of this is a special day, we're going to celebrate something unique. We have a new statue dipped in sweet tea and flowers. 
It's beautiful. But what's the point? Why are we doing so much? We do a lot for nothing. A lot. You know, we go to great length to point at it over and over and over again. To to look for ways to embrace who we are. I think it's quite creative to, to dip a statue in sweet tea and pour, pour tea over it. It's a little odd what we do as people. But I think it's important. It's important to go beyond comfort. It's important to go beyond what is easy and what does not seem so easy. To not go automatically with first reaction. You remember, I told this story before, that one time a mother came here to sign up her little son for Aikido lessons. And she was a devout Christian, Korean. <clears throat> she walked in and she saw the statue of the Buddha and right away she said, I cannot sign up my son here because you guys are Buddhists. And that was the end of that. They didn't go anywhere. She never came back. But that's an example of how we automatically believe that we know what we see. You know, we walk into a new place, but we're not even there. All we see is the images and notions and thoughts and emotions that we drag with us upstairs. We walk in without walking in. We speak without talking. We listen without hearing. And we see without having a clue of what's in front of us. And the problem with that is that if we don't do some work, the older we get, the worse it becomes. the worse it becomes. And so it creates a very black and white world, a reality, extremely black and white. It either it fits the shapes I have with me, or it doesn't fit the boxes I carry with me. If it doesn't fit, I reject. If it fits, I embrace. Maybe it's easy, it's black and white. Black and white is much easier than wide array of colors. There is a sense of knowing in black and white, there is a sense of not knowing when any color, any shape, any shade can appear or is allowed to appear. It becomes a a two-way, a two-way reality. We either fight everything, trying to get our way, trying to become somebody in this world, hoping somebody or other people will verify that, support that, say that we are worthy, or maybe feel that we are worthy ourselves. It's either that or we fall into homogenizing everything making all things one, 
forgetting our uniqueness, our specialness. So we either take our special uniqueness and try to elevate ourselves with that, through that, or we crush it. Black and white. But I don't know if you remember, Nagarjuna said the only way emptiness can manifest is through form. And all forms are unique. And all forms are manifesting the same formlessness in the same way. Not the same form. But the way they manifest varies. See, they manifest it in the same way because everything comes out of no thing. So to celebrate the uniqueness, you wake up in the morning, you're born unique. There is nobody else like you. And that could be said about everything. On the same level of ground, there is the multiplicity. On the same level. This, this beginning, the beginning of life of the Buddha, and the first words, and the actions, contain the entire teachings of Buddhism. Right there and then, all-encompassing, wide, open. I alone am the world honored one. That I, he repeated over and over again. Right? He was enlightened, he said, I. With everything else at the same time as well. And then I have always appeared as th thus. It has always been this way. So while there is a new birth, it's always been this way. Because it is beyond birth and death. But the birth is needed for the manifestation. So instead of asking, am I it? Maybe we should change that to, how do I express it? That you are it is done. That's given at birth. That is birthright. You are it and it is you. The question is, how, how do you choose to express yourself? In that little time, Short, passes by very quickly. What kind of a life do you want to lead? How do you express it? How do we actualize it? A lot of complication. Ancient master once said, it is on this mountain, but because of the heavy mist, the exact location is unknown. 
the heavy mist. There is mist. Right? Of our delusions, of what we want, of what we don't want, of the struggles we encounter, the struggles we create, what we aspire to, where we want to go, what we want to be. So it is unknown and ungraspable. Well, what happens when we no longer insist on knowing? What happens when we accept and embrace it as a birthright and no longer grasp? At that moment of not grasping, letting go of the familiar and stepping into unknown, At that moment, we get a glimpse of what it is to encounter true self, original self, the face before you were born. It's a different kind of encounter. It's not, oh, yeah, there it is. It's, yes, there I am. Not there it is. There I am it. It's a different kind of recognition. We get caught up in multiplicity. You know, I was in the city on Thursday walking around. I had some time before I went to Shoboji uh, to give a talk there and to work with some people. And I was looking at all the buildings, the many buildings, the many people walking around. A lot of variety. And all that is always supported by the same ground. That's the ground the Buddha was pointing at when he was born. But isn't that true that we point at it all the time? from birth to death. We are pointing at it without even being aware of it. Our eyes look out, rarely down. Right? Dogen said every creature is fully supported by the ground on which it stands. An ant is supported by the ground in the same way that an elephant is supported by the ground. It's not more or less. You know, we, we, we think elephant is very heavy, so it requires a different kind of support. No. The ground does not differentiate. We do, as we should, because there are differences. The buildings, the trees, the forms, the shapes are varied. And it's beautiful. It's a celebration of life. It's a celebration of the same earth, same ground that does not judge, that teaches us all the time. In a conversation with his son Rahula, the Buddha once instructed his son to be like the ground, be like the air, the fire, the water. He said, Rahula, <clears throat> develop a mind that is like the four great elements, because if you do, 
pleasant or unpleasant sensory impressions that have arisen and taken hold of the mind will not persist. Just as when people throw feces, urine, spittle, pus or blood on the earth, in the water, in the fire or in the air, the earth, water, fire and air are not troubled, worried or disturbed. So too, develop a mind that is like the four great elements. The ground is not offended. It doesn't take anything personally. It is one with all things. You think it'll be offended. Right? I'll say, well, you treat me like this, I'm not going to support you. Maybe it does, actually. Then we have earthquakes. Maybe it is teaching us something. It is equanimous. It is not defined by changing appearances. And to learn from the ground is to learn that you too are not defined by appearances. Status, opinions, aspirations, regrets, or anything else that has become attached to the accumulated storyline you call yourself. You're also not defined by opinions of others who may choose to belittle you or praise you. It doesn't change anything. To learn from the ground is to be like an empty container that simply allows contents to appear and disappear on their own accord. What we do in Zazen, what we train to do, we sit and we simply observe. We learn to not judge, not grasp, not reject as the ground, not to grasp and not to reject. A thought appears in your mind, you notice it, become aware of it and go no further. Whatever the thought may be, whatever it says, whatever it reminds you, you choose to stay grounded, to stay equanimous, vast, open. Saint Tsang, the third patriarch, said, in choosing to grasp or reject, one is blind to suchness. One is blind to ground. Neither pursue conditioned existence, nor stay in idle emptiness. Go beyond the black and white. In oneness and equality, all self-boundaries dissolve. Trying to steal action is an action itself. To look for stillness is already too much work. To talk about it as we do is way too much. It's wasting time. It's wasting that which is precious. As we say, too many words impair virtue. Still trapped in duality, how can you recognize oneness? Failing to penetrate the meaning of oneness, neither side will function. We don't function. 
banishing existence entangles you in existence. Pursuing emptiness turns you away from it. Looking for it, you get further away from it. This is why it's essential to not sit and wait for enlightenment to come. It is essential to sit for the sake of sitting and to stand up for the sake of standing up and to wake up in the morning for the sake of being awake. That's it. You are awake when you wake up. But then the mind moves and reminds you don't be too happy today. You have a lot to worry about. It's a nice idea, but not today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe today you will figure it all out and then tomorrow you will be there. Tomorrow you will be there. This ground, it is so essential for us to, to connect with, to be one with, to learn. The ground that does not have the possibility or the ability to reject. And it's up to us to, to see that. You know, we can kill each other, as we do, and the ground will readily absorb the blood that we shed on it. We could choose to build a, a shelter, feed the homeless, and the ground will support that building beautifully. It will not prefer one over the other. It doesn't know how. And without the ground, how far can you walk? You can't even sit. You know, the beautiful thing, Zazen is such a simple practice and we sit on the ground. We allow the ground to support us, to carry us forward. We talk about it in, in instructions for Zazen. We talk about stacking up the body joint by joint so everything is aligned perfectly supported by the ground. And that alignment is not just physical. It's to be in alignment with that which gives us birth. That which we come from, that which we stand on and that which we go to when we die. No, we come for nothing, we go to nothing, and then we are nothing in between. I mean, how could it be otherwise? Unless we invent it. And then when we stop inventing, there it is. We're going to chant together today the lineage and the names of
our ancestors. And I think we have to remember that we would not be practicing this practice or doing what we're doing if it wasn't for a direct direct link to the birth of the Buddha. We are sitting here because of that direct link. It's a seamless chain that have, has been created and maintained. And we are responsible to maintain it now, as we do. So we can awaken but also so we can create, cultivate conditions for future generations to awaken too. As it was done for us for the past 2,500 years. I think we have to remember that responsibility. Now, I alone am, you alone are. It's the same in the future. It was the same in the past. We are the link, the bloodline. Remember that when you practice. Remember that you are practicing sitting on the ground that has been this way all along, sharing the same ground that all these people we are going to chant have sat on walked on, ate from, died on, <clears throat> were absorbed into. So the Buddha pointed to the ground and said, this is a perfect place to build a sanctuary. So let's not build a sanctuary, let's be the sanctuary walking, standing, lying down, a seamless sanctuary. <clears throat>